Gospels. We're going to be continuing our series, Songs for Our Heart, as we go through the book of Psalms. And we are in Psalm 19 tonight. When you guys are turning to Psalm 19, let's ask the Lord to bless our study. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you tonight, Lord, we open up your word. We come to it expecting, Father, to hear from you. We pray that you would speak to us. And that as you speak to us, Father, that we would hear you. And we would listen. And we would heed what you say to us. Lord, let us never feel like we don't speak. Because you speak in many ways, Father. And you want to speak to us tonight, then, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Many times I've heard this exact phrase. I've seen it post on social media. I've, I've heard it um, directly as I've talked with people, and I've heard it um, when anybody's debating in uh, anything to do with God or the existence of God. If there is a God, why doesn't he speak? If God wanted me to believe in him, he would part the clouds, poke his head out, and just speak at me. He would make himself known. Another popular one is, well, God doesn't want me to know him because he's hidden himself. He would have hidden himself if he wanted me to know it. Now, on the surface, these look like valid arguments and, and, and valid questions because we can't possibly um, understand the reasoning behind him hiding himself in the way that he has. However, just because we cannot physically see God and we do not audibly hear God doesn't mean that we cannot know God. We wonder, if we can't see him, we can't hear him, how could we possibly know him? If there is God. Well, in our series, Songs for Our Hearts, tonight, in the Psalms, Psalm 19, it's a psalm written again by David. We're going to find out a lot. He wrote 73 out of 150 psalms. And so, this is one of those that psalm touches on the communication of God.
circles to the other end, nothing is hidden from its heat. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them. And in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me, and I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We're going to say that God is speaking tonight. There's three different ways in which he is still speaking, and I'm sure we can point to even more ways, but here in this in this psalm, David is focusing on the three main ways in his life that God is speaking and has spoken. Number one, God has spoken as creator through creation all around us. In the first six verses, that's what David focuses on. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. There's no speech, there's no words. Their voice is not heard. So their message has gone out to the whole earth. And their words to the ends of the worlds. And in the heavens he's pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming from his home. Rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of heaven. Circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its feet. So as creator, God is speaking through creation all around us. The psalmist states the heavens will declare the glory of God. That's, that's not just a statement. That's a declaration. They declare the glory of God. They can say no other. We should look up and listen to what God has said and what God has spoken through. You see, the, the earth, this planet that we live on, we don't think about this in our day-to-day as we're walking around thinking that it takes forever to get from point A to point B, whether we're driving, walking, crawling, scootering, or whatever it is that we're doing. But the earth is moving at a blazing pace, and it turns not only around the sun in a revolution like this, but it's also tilted and it spins on its axis as it goes around. And on its axis, it's already spinning at a speed of approximately 1,000 miles per hour. As it orbits around the sun, it's spinning spinning around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. We don't feel this speed. We don't feel the spinning motion because it's constant. Because it hasn't stopped. Because it creates what's known as a centrifugal force that keeps us where we're at. If you ever have taken a pail of water and you spin it fast enough, the water doesn't fall out of the pail because the force keeps it in there. Same reason we don't fly off the face of the earth because the centrifugal force is keeping us on there. If it were to come, if it were to just stop spinning 
and stop rotating, we would fly off the face of the planet. But the constant speeds produce our predictable day. We get 24 hours in each day, and we have a year that consists of 365.25 days. The same constancy that keeps our world spinning declares the constancy of God's glory. And so as we look up and realize that God, who created all this, is glorious, and it speaks of his glory, then we consider the expanse. It says the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Everything visible above and around us was made by the very hands of God, even that which we can't see. When you look up into the sky at night and understand this, and the moon is a couple hundred thousand miles away, the sun further than that, the nearest star to us, it's taken that light for hundreds of millions of years to get to us. Except for this, God has created a universe with an apparent age. He has created the light to be already there. Any new light to reach to us must take that one. What we're seeing is the light, the very light, from when God spoke creation into existence. It proclaims his glory. His, he's glorious in his size. He's created something of such enormous expanse. The measuring rod for our universe is the light here. And for God, that's like taking it on a map, you know, how the scale, like this, this inch equals 500 miles. But for God, it's a light here. His glory is, the, is in the detail and the specificity of all the engineering and all the rules and all the laws that govern everything and how all the systems work govern together so well. We have photosynthesis that creates the life needed for the plants. The plants in themselves and the way that they take carbon dioxide and they create they, they breathe it in, they breathe out oxygen. That's a simple way of saying it. I know that trees don't necessarily breathe, you don't care about but that's the simplicity of it. Just the way that he creates the cycle for, for the evaporative waters in, in which he creates rain that goes on the land and soaks into the land, and then the land gives it back to the ocean. So it can go through that whole cycle all over again. He's also glorious in the artistry. Nobody that I know of can look at that sunset, especially the ones that we're so well known for here in the Southwest. No one can look at that sunset and say, wow, a chance that all happened, there's no artistry behind it. Artists have been painting, taking pictures, doing whatever they can to try and capture that same beauty, and nothing on paper comes close to what we see. The way that he takes the color and the lights and they work together and they, they produce massive displays of artistic splendor. He's glorious in creating all this beauty and all these things for us to observe and to see and to enjoy. And as the psalmist writes this, I can't help but go back to the beginning of God's word in which he said, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
on this in Romans when he was speaking to the church in Rome. He says, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He's talking about the people that, that take the truth that all this glory reveals and says, no, it's not God. He says, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God shown it to them. Verse 20, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, says, For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power, his divine nature, 
speech and creation is not verbal or audible. It is real, nonetheless. And he's holding us accountable to understanding that. He's holding the world accountable to that. When we say that God hasn't spoken, all we need to do is step outside and stop looking at our own man-made buildings, our own man-made things that are around us, and we need to get out and we need to look at God's glory and creation once again. See, the sun, it says that the tent is pitched, and this is the idea that um, back then they, they didn't know how things revolved. They had an idea of the creation of it. And we see this in such words as they say that there, it was just hung there in the sky, and they say that there's nothing under it. We, we see this in their language. They didn't have the skills to describe what we've been able to see, not only through um, our observation of things and measurements and whatnot, but we've actually been out in space and we've taken pictures. We know that our world sits upon nothing. And so they say the tent is pitched, and so the sun goes into the tent, right? Bedtime. Sometimes I go to bed and it's got to wake up bright and early the next morning. It's like a bright shine. Shine bright for everyone. So as the new day dawns, it becomes radiant, it's glowing, and it's light. It's like a bridegroom adorned for his bride. It's like that first morning after the eighth part. He just comes out, the, the world's so happy, and everything's singing, the birds are chirping, and everything's, you know, that's the description of the sun as it goes around in its revolution. It's day after day after day. And here's what it's saying. The cross of the heavens, so the entire earth receives its light. The entire earth sees its splendor. The entire earth is warmed by its radiant heat. And what it is saying is that God shows grace, love, and provision to everyone. The entire world. There's not a part of the world that God says, you know what? You don't get daylight. Ever. No, you know that Alaska sometimes suffers with like six months of darkness and, and six months of daylight and things like that. But they still get daylight. There's not a single part of the earth in which it has not been affected by the creation of God to reach and to communicate. Nothing is hidden from its heat. But yeah, what do we find in the world? God haters, pagans, what have they, what have they set up? All the ancient pagan religions. They worship the sun as a god. They worship the moon as a lesser god. And they worship creation instead of the creator. But all of creation declares the glory of God and it calls and it speaks us to worship him as creator. We don't worship creation. Creation points to the creator. That's what God is speaking to 
which I made, or is it because I made it? God is also speaking in His Word to us. And I say that specifically, I believe that the, the, the psalmist David in his heart wants us to see that the instruction of the Lord, the Word of the Lord, is written to us. God wants us to understand that He has written His Word to us. It's not like we accidentally found it. It's like, oh, great, now that you found it, I guess you can read it. Well, look at what he says in verse 7. He says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. And the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servants warn by them, and keeping them, there is an abundant reward. God wants us to have his word. God wants us to love his word. He's included with it the ability to stay safe because it comes with warnings, right? But he's also included with it a blessing. It comes with reward. So God is speaking not only through his works, but he's also speaking in his word to us. The word that we find here for instruction can also be translated Torah. And some versions of the Bible also call it the law. And here's the thing. We think law and we think legislation. But it can also mean revelation. The word of instruction or revelation of the Lord is perfect. And that word perfect means blameless, complete, sound, whole. God has given us his complete, perfect, whole word. And part of the perfection of God's instruction is that he's able to renew life. His word is life. The one who reads and needs the instruction. And there is power in the reading and studying and hearing of God's word. It goes beyond our intellectual benefit. If you come to God's word and you're like, man, all I want to do is just be much smarter in this, and that's all I care about, is so I can show people how much of this I know, let alone not, not how much I, I'm, I'm living it, how much I need it, how much I need to apply it. If all you're doing is intellectual benefit, you're, you're missing all the power. Because it produces change for the better. Literally converting souls. Or as one um, evangelist put it, God's word doesn't make dead, uh, sleeping men wake. It brings dead men to life. Literally reviving bringing new life to the soul, to our souls, to our life, wherever you're at. If you feel dead in where you're at, maybe it's because you're not spending time with God's Word. Maybe you're not uh, applying it as much. Maybe, maybe you've gone to it and you've been, it's been more of an intellectual pursuit. When God wants to not affect your brain, He wants to affect your heart. The Apostle Peter 
if he was as cruel as we want to try to make him out to be, and think him to be, he didn't ever give us his word. He would just keep going, nope, you're doing it wrong. Nope, you're doing it wrong. Why can't you just get it right? Like, just pass the right. No, he says, I don't want you to guess. Read, read my word. I've revealed it to you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want to come together. I want us to have communion and relationship. I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. is pure and it endures, and the ordinances are reliable, bringing righteousness. That's what God wants to lead us in. He wants to lead us in righteousness. He wants to lead us out of that destructive life and into the walk that produces true life, everlasting life, eternal life. David sees the word of the Lord as it should be. We need to see it as this too, that the word of the Lord is a treasure to be sought. It's more desirable than gold, sweeter than honey. Psalm 34, 8, he also writes, he says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. No one who has come to God has ever said, Man, I'm a big mistake. No one who's had their life transformed by the power of God, by the power of His Word, has ever come back and said, God, I'll just take my old life back. You keep this new life. Um, It didn't work out for me. I'm sorry. When we're transformed and we're touched by the living, by the power of the living God, the one who created all things, the one who is above all things, we're forever changed, permanently marked. No one who comes and encounters and holy God remains unchanged. In the keeping of the word, there's abundant reward. Not only is his word our treasure, but it's our delight. It's our reward because through God's word we're warned. In God's word, you know what we're warned of? That we live in a fallen world. That we're going to see the world fall apart as people that are chasing after the world and are ignoring God and are are rebelling against God, we're going to see a world that comes out, a world that is devoid of love, a world that is devoid of anything but selfish-seeking desires. We're going to see wars and rumors of wars. He tells us that we're going to see the the epitome of unrighteous living. And he describes it in, in, in painstaking detail. We're also warned that there's an enemy out there who is engaged in a spiritual war that happened long before people were created. But as people were created, we were engaged and brought into it because he went into the garden and he spoke into the ear of Eve. And he said, has God really said, challenging God's work in which God has spoken? He challenges us even now. When you look at creation, he goes, that's not speaking of God. Speaking of random chance, you take any number of stuff, you put it in a bottle of water, and you shake it up real good, and maybe strike it with some lightning, and now you'll get the same results. And if it doesn't happen the first time, just try again. We're warned that we have an enemy. Peter, in his epistle, also writes about Satan, the enemy that we have, who roams about the earth seeking 
who we need to battle. Jesus tells us there is an enemy and all he desires to do is to come, seek, kill, and destroy. He doesn't want what's good for us. He promises us the good things. He says, oh, just, just ignore that God guy. I'll give you everything you want. You'll be happier. And we're like, oh, okay, because that seems super desirable. And what we find out is that it's empty promises. It's short-lived. It doesn't endure. The Word of God endures. So we're warned. And as we heed those warnings in obedience, we're rewarded because what we find is we find the true abundant life. The life that Christ said he came to give us so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Not have more of the abundant life. There are some that teach that he came to, you know, make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that's not entirely true. In the monetary material sense. He desires to do that all for us spiritually, so that we can live a truly fulfilling life. Which we think that a fulfilled life is one that we live for ourselves. If I just seek what I want, if I just follow all my needs, if I just look after number one, I'll be good to go. But what you find is that you become miserable, lonely, never satisfied. Nothing's ever good enough, you're always seeking more. When one lives for the true selfless way of seeking others' interests and putting others' interests above our own. Not saying we never take care of ourselves, but we put others above our own. And we live with that priority that Jesus told us to have. We find that we have the right priority, as you can see in in the acronym of uh, JOY. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. When you live with that as your priority in life, what you find is that you have a more abundant life, a more fulfilled life, because you're living for more than just yourself. And you're living in such a way that what you do lives out beyond you. And so in obedience, we're also rewarded. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is inspired by God, is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. We don't have to wonder, well, how do I live for God? How do I do that? Well, we have the entire knowledge that we need as far as that goes. And here's the thing. The reward of hearing the Word of God is threefold. The first, you get the reward of knowing and doing the will of the Father. Many people I talk to all the time, they're like, how do we know what God's will is for my life? Well, do you pray? Not enough. Have you read the word? Not enough. Well, where are you expecting to find God's will? That's how he's chosen to speak to us. The second reward is, as I said, living the abundant and fulfilled life where you're converted, you're wise, you're rejoicing, you're enlightened, you're enduring, you're true and righteous. And finally, the reward of reading the Word of God and taking it in is the assurance of being ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It tells you how to prepare for that. By reading the Word of God, you find that it's only in Christ that you can stand before Christ. And the only way to stand in Christ is to believe in Him and His name and the sacrifice that He made on the cross for the sins that we committed. 
promised concerning Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. If you follow this word, you'll do what is good, and you'll avoid what's evil, and you will be properly rewarded for it. By the word of the Lord, we know what to do. We know how to please the Lord. We know how to bring joy and, and, and gratitude to the Lord. I mean, we were created for that purpose. We struggle with this when we try to live for every other purpose. You will always feel unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and like you're not fitting into that spot where you were created for. If you do not come to know and worship God and enjoy Him, you will miss out on the purpose for which you were created. Theologian John Calvin said from nature, we know only the hands and feet of God, but from Scripture, we may know his very heart. But God is still speaking even after those things, because once you have those things, God is speaking by the witness in us. Look at verse 12. He says, Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins, and do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God is speaking through all creation around us. He's speaking in his word that was to us, but also by the witness that is in us. Since the creation and the fall in the garden, there's been revealed in God's word sin within the world. As I said, God's word tells us that we live in a sinful, fallen world. We know that this whole world is corrupted by sin. It's corrupting everything along with it, including coming with the deception of Satan himself. Counselor, in other versions, is translated helper. 
distinguished from two words. The first word being para, and the second word cleat. Get the paraclete. Para is another, para, another of the same kind. Helper. He's another of the same kind, of the same kind as Jesus.
Holy Spirit uses the Word of God in our life. We need, we need all. We, we need to listen everywhere God is speaking to us. The Word of God is living; it's effective, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from Him. While these are naked and exposed, the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. God is speaking. He's pointing us to this. The Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin, pointing us to righteousness through the cross of Jesus Christ because there's a judgment coming. He's speaking to us. He's telling us. He's getting us prepared for it. Through the Word of God, the Spirit of God works in us to sanctify us because God, through His Spirit in us, we, as we come across the Word of God, speaks to us. And now here comes our part. We cooperate the Holy Spirit, we agree with what he tells us. We say, yes, that's us. Yes, that's what I need. God, help me. Or we quench the Spirit and say, it's not me. That's for, you, you know what, I'll remember that because next time I see my friend, he needs to hear this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I say it for him. Here, let me write it down. I'll, I'll give him like specific notes. I'll take really good notes for them. And we read the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit says, hey, I don't want Maybe you should have uh, that indulgence, whether it's literature, movies, whatever, whatever it is that, you, that you're doing. Like, hey, this isn't going to be beneficial to you. This is, it may be lawful. It's not profitable. And we go, I don't care. I can do what I want. God will forgive me. We quench and we breathe the Holy Spirit in our life. And we start saying, God doesn't speak to me anymore. Why doesn't God tell me where he wants me to go? Why doesn't God tell me what his will is? No, it's because you've taken the Holy Spirit's voice and you've made it a whisper in your ear that you can just like, ah, I don't want to hear it. And now we have to practice focusing to hear that voice again so that he can speak to us. Because when we start living with a focus on that voice, it gets louder for us and we can hear it clearly once again. And we're no longer wondering, is God speaking to me? We go, oh, Lord, I, I hear you loud and clear. I'm so glad to know that you're here with me. With the Holy Spirit and with God's Word, we start true condition, we start true crisis. We come to 1 John 1 9, and if we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to tell us. If you come and you confess your sins, they'll be forgiven. Why do we want to hide them? Why wouldn't we want to admit them? God's telling us through His Word, He's revealing it to us. He wants to forgive. Spirit in our life tells us this, even as that sin comes up in our life, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because we have an accuser who walks around, and he'll remind you of your past. And I've heard it said, I, I think it's on the radio or whatever, it says, whenever the devil wants to remind you of your past, you just tell him about his future. Because Christ settled it on the cross. David says, keep your servant from these. Don't let them rule me. Don't let that be master over me. The psalmist doesn't want to be ruled by sin and rebellion. And those who are in Christ are no longer ruled by sin. We are to be ruled by the Spirit of God. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You see, the mind, instead of 
flesh is hostile to God because it doesn't submit to God's law. It's unable to. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, who are here tonight in Christ Jesus, are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, which we're told everyone who has professed the name of Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, born again from God above. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, though, he does not belong to him. It's a simple fact. You either have the Spirit or you don't. There's no going, well, maybe eventually I'll get the Spirit of God. No, it's, if you've given your life to Christ, you have it. If you haven't given your life to Christ, he hasn't forgiven you of your sins. You don't have the Spirit, and you don't belong to God. But here's why we want the Spirit in our life, and why we want to know he's there, because we're not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You don't have to live to your flesh anymore. Do you know that? If you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if you, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you're going to live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. If you're led by God's Spirit, you don't have to question if you have God's Spirit. If His Spirit is speaking to you and He's leading you, you have God's Spirit. Don't question it. Just follow Him. Because you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we're able to cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. This song concludes with one of the greatest short prayers that you find in all of Scripture. He says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. That's what we want. We want to be acceptable to God. As we consider how God has spoken to us, how God has revealed himself to us, how God has continued to lead us and guide us in all righteousness, let that be the prayer of our heart, that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would just be acceptable to God. He's speaking through his works. He's speaking through his word. And he speaks through his spirit that is alive in us. Speaking through our redeemed and changed lives. He's speaking through our lives right now. Did you know there's people around you that have noticed that you're different? That have noticed the change that God has done in your life? They're like, wait a minute, you're not the way that I remember you being. You're not, you're not as irritable as I remember you being. You're not as upset as I remember you being. You, you have this joy about the, the one thing that I am always surprised by is people tell me that I have a joy or a, a uh, brightness about me. And that speaks volumes to me because before Christ, I had a darkness around me because I did not enjoy life. I didn't want to be in this world. But when God found me, he put his spirit and joy in my life. And I haven't turned back. And I think each and every one of us has that same experience where we can remember where we were at before God and how much further we are with God and to stay with where he's taking us. If we're not listening to what God 
esteem and something that's opposed to creation. We're going to end up, as Paul warns those in Romans, those who exchange the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and they served what had been created instead of the Creator. All of Revelation and creation, of general revelation, of special revelation, all of God's streams of communication to us, all has one single united goal. God wants us to know Him. He wants us to worship Him. He wants us to love Him. By faith, we have to hear. And we have to respond to what God is speaking. He's not speaking just to speak. He's looking for a response. If you're here tonight, we're, the worship team is going to come up again. We're going to close with one last song. And that is going to be an opportunity if you want to respond in a way that um, you feel like you're actively responding. I'll be available up front, and I can pray with you. I can pray for you. If, if you want to remain where you're at, if God is speaking to you, don't leave here without responding to what he said. If it's as simple as saying, God, I, I hear you, that's what I want as well. God, I acknowledge that you have changed my life. And I want to acknowledge that right now. I want to say, I'm still here. I'm still listening. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. We have to hear and respond to what God is speaking around us, to us, and in us. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, Lord. And Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you so much that you speak to us. That you're not a God who wants to remain hidden and unknown, but that you desire that we would know you and that we would love you. That we would have a relationship with you, Father. Do you want a relationship with us so bad you sent your son to die on the cross for us to cover that gap that sin had created and had separated us from you, Father God? And it's through that forgiveness that we have through the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ that we are brought close to you, that we can have a relationship with you. And once again, we can have our, our ears tuned to hearing you, Father. Your spirit alive in us to speak to us. Father, I pray that as, as we close tonight, as, as we prepare to leave, that we would not think that you're done speaking to us, Father God. This might be the, the first step where we start to listen and we start to look for what it is that you want to say to us. Maybe even through this 